And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West, the most haunted city of the country, and the site of a blizzard going on right now. Today's March 2nd, 61st day of the year. 304 days remain to the year's over with. And it's an interesting date. It's International Rescue a Cat Day. It's National Egg McMuffin Day. World Book Day. National Old Stuff Day. Dr. Seuss Day, though he has fallen out of political favor because he's not woke. National Read Across America Day. National Banana Cream Pie Day. Jewish Book Week. Cheerleading Week. Well, Eisner Week. Write a Letter Appreciation Week. Most folks have forgotten how to do that. Universal Human Beings Day. Fair Trade Fortnight. Cornish Pastry Week. Peace Corps Week. Telecommuter Appreciation Week. National Nutrition Month. National Women's History Month. National Hemophilia Awareness Month. Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. National Social Work Month. National Small Press Month. National Kidney Month. And National Peanut Month. But should give uh, Jimmy the Peanut Man Carter uh, a major uh, spasm. National Craft Month. And a National Ideas Month. National Caffeine Awareness Month. Endometriosis Awareness Month. Rising Star Month. National Credit Education Month. National Cheerleading Safety Month. National Umbrella Month. And National Music in Our Schools Month. And it's also, if I'm not mistaken, the Texas Independence Day. Well, in 537, Siege of Rome, the Ostrogoth Army under King Vitagus uh, begins the siege of the capital. Belisarius conducts a delaying action outside the Flaminian Gate. He and a detachment of his soldiers are almost cut off. 986, Louis V becomes the last Carolinian king of West Francia after the death of his father, Lothair. Uh, 1331, the fall of Nicaea to the Ottoman Turks after a siege. The uh, 1458, George of Podobrades chose the king of Bohemia. 1484, the College of Arms is formally incorporated by royal charter signed by King Richard III of England. 1498, Vasco da Gama's fleet visits the island of Mozambique. 1657, the Great Fire of Marikai begins in Edo, which is now Tokyo, Japan. It causes more than 100,000 deaths before it literally burns itself out three days later. 1776, American Revolutionary War. Patriot militia units attempt to prevent capture supply ships in and around the Savannah River by Fleet of the Royal Navy in the Battle of the Rice Boats. 1791, Claude Chappé uh, demonstrates the first Symphonomore line in near Paris. 1797, the Bank of England issues the first one-pound and two-pound banknotes. 
1807, Congress passes the act prohibiting importation of slaves, disallowing the importation of new slaves into the country. Uh, unfortunately, they still got in. 1811, Argentine War of Independence. The Royalist fleet defeats a small flotilla of revolutionary ships in the Battle of uh, San Nicolas on the River Platte. Uh, 1815, sounding of the Candian Convention Treaty by British invaders and the leaders of the Kingdom of Candy. And 1836, the Declaration of Independence of the Republic of Texas uh, from Mexico is adopted on this date. 1855, Alexander II becomes Tsar of Russia. 1865, East Cape War, the Volgner Incident in New Zealand took place on this date. 1867, Congress passes the first Reconstruction Act. 1877, just two days before inauguration, Congress declares Rutherford B. Hayes the winner of the 1876 presidential election, even though Samuel Tilden won the popular vote. That he... Uh, been confirmed as president. The country would have taken a different turn. He was also one of my uh, ancestors. 1882, Queen Victoria narrowly escapes an assassination attempt by Roderick McLean in Windsor. 1901, U.S. Steel Corporation is founded as a result of a merger between Carnegie Steel Company and Federal Steel Company which became the first corporation in the world with a market, a market capital of over a billion dollars. 1901 also saw the Congress pass the Platt Amendment, limiting the auto autonomy of Cuba as a condition of the withdrawal of American troops. 1903, in New York City, saw the Martha Washington Hotel open up, the first hotel exclusively for women. 1917, enactment of the Jones-Shafroth Act grants Puerto Ricans United States citizenship as a matter of law. 1919, the first Communist International meets in Moscow. And 1932, Finnish President P.E. Zvenhudvud gives a radio speech, which four days later finally ends the Matsala Rebellion and the far-right the Pua movement that started it. 1937, Steelworkers Organizing Committee signs a collective bargaining agreement with U.S. Steel leading to unionization of the United States steel industry. 1939, Cardinal Eugenio Pacelli is elected Pope and takes the name Pius XII. And from what I've read about him, he was certainly not pious by any stretch of the imagination. 1941, World War II, first German military units in Bulgaria after it joins the Axis Pact. 1943, on this date, during the Battle of the Bismarck Sea, Allied aircraft defeat a Japanese attempt to ship troops to New Guinea. 1949, Captain James Gallagher leads his B-50 Super Fortress Lady Luck II in Fort Worth, Texas, lands his B-50 Super Fortress Lady Luck II in Fort Worth, Texas, after completing the first non-stop around-the-world airplane flight in 94 hours and one minute. 1955, Norodom Sihanouk, king of Cambodia, abdicates the throne in favor of his father. Norodom 
Sura Marat. 96-2 in Burma, the army led by General Nay Wen seizes power in a coup d'etat. Also on 62 on this same day, Wilt Chamberlain sets the single-game scoring record in the National Basketball Association by scoring 100 points. Um, 1965, the U.S. Republic of Vietnam Air Force began Operation Rolling Thunder. Sustained bombing campaign against North Vietnam. Nineteen sixty-eight, Thunder Ridge Colliery closes, marking the end of over three hundred years of coal mining in the Black Country. Nineteen sixty-nine, in Toulouse, France, the first test flight of the Anglo-French Concorde is conducted. Nineteen seventy, Rhodesia declares itself a republic, breaking its last links with the British Crown. 1977, Libya becomes a socialist people's Libyan Arab Jamahariya as a general people's congress adopted the declaration of the, on the establishment of the authority of the people. You know, all this high-sounding rhetoric sounds good, but at the end of the day, it doesn't mean diddly. 1978, Czech Vladimir Remick becomes the first non-Russian and non-American to go into space when he's launched aboard Soyuz 28. 1978 also saw the late iconic actor Charlie Chaplin's coffin be stolen from his grave in Switzerland. 1983 compact disc and players are released for the for the first time in the U.S. and a number of other markets. They'd only been available in Japan up to that point. 1989, 12 European community nations agreed to ban the production of chlorofluorocarbons by the end of the century. You know, they have all these brilliant ideas about what they're going to ban, but they don't have any ideas about what they're going to replace them with. 1990, Nelson Mandela is elected Deputy President of the African National Congress. 1991, battle at Romalia oil field begins, uh, brings an end to the 1991 Gulf War. 1992, on this date, so the start of the war in Transnistria. 1995, researchers at Fermilab announced the discovery of the top quark. 1998, data sent from the Galileo spacecraft indicates that Jupiter's moon Europa has a liquid ocean under a thick crust of ice. On 2002, U.S. invasion of Afghanistan, Operation Anaconda begins. It ends March 19th after killing 500 Taliban and Al-Qaeda fighters with 11 Western troop fatalities. 2004, Born in Iraq, Al-Qaeda carries out the Ashura massacre in Iraq, killing 170, wounding over 500. 2012, a tornado outbreak occurs over a large section of the southern U.S. and into the Ohio Valley, resulting in 40 tornado-related fatalities. And in 2017, the elements Muscovium, Tennessee, and Organison officially added to the periodic table at a conference in Moscow, Russia. You know, it's 
all these um, first and um, landmark uh, events are all well and good, but at the end of the day, how much was just for the making the person who's named after look good and how many actually accomplished something? Now, on yesterday's show, we were talking about the real war of the worlds. Even though the rest of us aren't notified, it seems that over the last uh, couple of hundred years, we've had actual uh, engagements with uh, extraterrestrial craft. The first one that got any real notoriety was when Baron von Richthofen shot down a UFO in 1917, or 1916 rather. Now we've got a number of authors who've gone to great lengths to to um, list all the various encounters. And British author David Clark wrote a book called The UFO Files. And he described a document relating to an incident in the Royal Air Force Files at the National Archives that was stamped secret. See, that's the problem. The powers that be stamp all these things secret and top secret and cosmic and all this other. We don't know what's going on. At the time, which was 1942, it was judged to be of such significant de- that details were sent directly to the RAF Bomber Command with a letter from the Air Vice Marshal of Number 5 Group. And it said, Here and herewith a copy of a report received from a crew of a Lancaster after a raid on Turin. The crew refuses to be shaken in their story in the face of the, the usual banter and ridicule. So that's how our government deals with uh, reports of this nature, with banter and ridicule. If they can make you feel foolish, you'll retract your statement. No harm, no foul at that point. September 10, 1944, while a reconnaissance plane and its crew were returning from a mission over occupied Europe on the English coast uh, near uh, Cumbria, the aircraft was approached by a metallic UFO that began to shadow them. That's according to the August 5, 2010 issue of uh, Britain's... Uh, Telegraph newspaper, and enduring dis- discussions about this uh, unexplained incident, the two men who claimed to have become so concerned by the incident that Churchill ordered uh, it to remain secret for 50 years. What did that accomplish? That meant Churchill didn't have to explain what, what was going on. For the previous five years, British Prime Minister occasionally received reports of sightings of unconventional <coughs> excuse me, aircraft made by airmen, but always dismissed them as a result of fatigue and fear and mistaken visions of the moon and the stars and meteorological phenomena or some such rational cause. He did not want to admit there might be interstellar craft uh, moving about the earth. But this latest RAF encounter in 1944 was different. 
Photographs of the object, which the crew claimed had hovered noiselessly near the plane, were taken by the crew. It's hard to explain away a picture. And they were doing, wasn't doing much Photoshop in 1944, let me tell you. Well, impressed by the visual evidence, Churchill immediately called together a secret meeting with scientists and military commanders to discuss the incident and a number of others that had preceded it. There were the usual speculations about Germany's advanced arms technology until a weapons expert dismissed suggestions the object was a missile as the event was totally beyond any imagined capabilities available to anybody at that point in time. Um, Air Marshal Lord uh, Hugh Dowling, Commander-in-Chief of the Royal Air Force Fighter Command, confirmed UFOs are real, flying saucers are real, and they're interplanetary. He said more than 10,000 sightings have been reported, the majority of which can't be accounted for by any scientific explanation. He said, I'm convinced these objects do exist and are not manufactured by any nation on Earth. I can therefore see no alternative to accepting the theory they come from some extraterrestrial source. Now, according to this article that was in the Telegraph, another person at the meeting raised the possibility of a, of a UFO, at which point the Churchill ordered the report together with the photographs be classified for at least 50 years and reviewed by the Prime Minister to stop panic spreading. That's always the rationale for these uh, draconian uh, rules to stop the spread of panic he insisted this event should be immediately classified simply create mass panic among the general population and destroy one's belief in the church now I I have to disagree with the man I don't see what it's going to do about destroying the belief in the church that something unexplained may well be a UFO. So on September 17th and 19th, 1944, Churchill conferred uh, in Washington, D.C. with President Roosevelt. They'd already been briefed on non-terrestrial science and technology seven months before that. After their visit, Churchill made the orders suppressing public information about UFOs during a secret war meeting with U.S. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was in command of Allied forces at an undisclosed location in America. Now, Churchill's recognition of unidentified flying objects was nothing new to Eisenhower, who had known about them for over three years. Now, by the 1940s, UFO sightings and crashes were being reported across America. About 9 p.m. on April 12, 1941, Reverend William Guy Huffman Sr. was telephoned by local police concerning an airplane crash that evening outside Girardeau, a small Missouri city on the Mississippi River. It's about 115 miles southeast of St. Louis. And the caller asked if the, the Baptist minister might be available immediately to administer last rites to any dead and dying victims of the crash. Well, a neighbor drove Huffman to the disaster site at a farmer's field about 12 miles away. Police and the fire department uh, assistance had already been dispatched. And the crash may have involved a military aircraft from nearby Harvey Parks Airport, about 30 miles to the south, in Siskiton. 
where U.S. Army Air Corps flight cadets were in training. Accordingly, Cape County Sheriff Robert uh, Reuben Shade uh, notified his brother Ben, a purchasing agent in the Siskiyou, Missouri Institute of Aeronautics, by telephone. At least that's the belief that would happen. Nobody would admit it, but that would explain the appearance of Army personnel at the site shortly after Huffman arrived. But what he saw was certainly no conventional airplane. It was a badly damaged, shiny, silvery disc, well under 100 feet across, surrounded by broken fragments reflecting the last moments of a contained blaze that had been uh, damped down by firefighters. Minister stepped closer, didn't find any propellers, struts, cables, or any recognizable engine parts. But through a gapping space, the flickering light of the, the fire enabled him to see a sparse interior of, with, of some dials and buttons uh, on a kind of control panel with three child-sized seats uh, that had been removed uh, previously. Apparently occupied by a trio of little people, somebody had pulled the seats from the vessel and laid them out on the ground several yards from the crash. Now, two of the creatures had already died. The third, somewhat apart from the two dead ones, took a few shallow breaths and before it died. And they all looked alike. No more than four feet in length, gray wrinkled skin, thin elongated torsos and limbs, three fingers, no nails, plus a long thumb on each hand, a pair of dots for nostrils, a horizontal slit for a mouth, and two huge black teardrop-shaped eyes on the otherwise featureless face of an oversized bulbous head. All this took place a quarter of a century before the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Uh, th that was the case that made uh, gray aliens internationally known. Now, a newspaper man posed and photographed one of the humanoid corpses between a pair of reporters. Shortly after that, a troop of Army personnel arrived to cordon off the crash and confiscate all the exposed film, any notes or souvenirs that had been collected. Before their expulsion from the site, two, two dozen or so civilians had sworn to lifelong secrecy in the name of national security. And this took place at a time quite different from our own when government authority was universally respected and an American's word was his or her bond. Certainly not the case today. Soldiers returned on, to the Siskinton Air Base with the wrecked disc related debris and the three cadavers. Next week, all the remains are transported to Washington, D.C., secured in a secret subterranean storage room beneath the basement level of the Capitol building. You know, it's interesting to note that clamping down the secrecy lid prior to the beginning of the Internet uh, was somewhat effective. But the problem is, unless you shot everybody who saw it, somebody was going to talk at some point in time. Some months after this event, Secretary of State Cordell Hull escorted uh, Colonel Holt to the underground holding area. Thanks to Hull's influence, Holt had been appointed under an important advisory position in the Roosevelt administration. And in consideration of his friend's recent promotion, plus Holt's celebrated reputation as a pastor of the Church of Christ, Hull desired to gauge his reaction to the uh, Missouri artifacts, as they were being called, 
from a religious or spiritual man's point of view. And Holt later described what he saw. On display was the crash vehicle, its three former occupants, the little people who were suspended in a, each in a, its own glass jar, formaldehyde like frogs in a high school biology class. Now, bound by an oath pledging secrecy for the sake of national security, Holt broke his secret only to his wife and daughters, pledging them to say nothing to, to just forget. After their father died in 1993, Holt's two daughters refrained from discussing his unforgettable experience as long as their mother, uh, Vina, who didn't approve of such talk, don't you know, was still living. Not until April of 2009 did... Aline and Lucille shared their father's account with noted Canadian researcher Grant Cameron. I mean, let's face it, such a fantastic tale could have been easily dismissed as a hoax if it wasn't for the indefatigable investigation of this case by Paul Blake Smith, himself a resident of Cape Girardeau, who lived near the 1941 crash site. He supports his meticulous reconstruction of events with revealing source material, such as a personal statement written in 1999 by retired CIA and U.S. Army counterintelligence officer Thomas uh, Cantwell. He told of an aerodyne recovered in 1941 that crashed in southwestern uh, Missouri. Actually, it should have said uh, southeastern Missouri. And an aerodyne... is a kind of a generic term for any artificial um, flying object. Cantwell's statement was underscored by a letter written in the early 1980s by theoretical physicist Edward Teller, known uh, as the father of the hydrogen bomb. And in that letter, he mentioned 1939, two years before a captured UFO. Um, was uh, shown to... Uh, President Ronald Reagan. Earlier in September 1947, in Part 5 of a uh, classified national security structure report, Air Force General Nathan Twining, assigned by President Henry Tru- uh, Harry Truman to uh, investigate UFOs, referred to the recovery case of 1941. Now, Teller, when he wrote that letter to Reagan, he was making reference to the 39 crash. Two years before a captured UFO. Now, I wrote a book called Beyond Roswell where I discussed a lot of crashes that have never been talked about very much. We filmed one season of a TV series. We haven't yet, uh, it hadn't yet aired, I have hopes. During World War II, ten months after the Missouri crash, President Roosevelt addressed the Army Chiefs of Staff in a confidential memorandum on the issue of finding out practical uses for the atomic secrets learned from study of these celestial devices. Two years later, in a double-top-secret White House memorandum for the Special Committee on Non-Terrestrial Science and Technology, he agreed that application of a non-terrestrial know-how in atomic energy must be used in perfecting superweapons of war. Uh, to affect the complete defeat of Germany and Japan. And in view of the cost already incurred in the atomic bomb program, it would at the same time be difficult to approve without further support of the Treasury Department and the military. So I have decided to forego such an enterprise. In point of fact, Roosevelt's uh, 
scientist assigned to the Army Air Corps, but not exactly, had not exactly failed to back-engineer the object retrieved from a Missouri farmer's field. Physicists early recognized an atomic component in the Cape Girardeau uh, specimen, and they strove to apply it somehow, if not by replication, replicating the craft itself, then by including some aspects of its technology in America's ongoing atomic bomb project, as Roosevelt himself indicated in his memorandum. According to Cantwell, the uh, Army Air Force commanders hoped to introduce uh, this craft near duplication of the Missouri original, don't you know, in the, into the war, but money resources were not available. Without funding available to R&D, and they couldn't do it immediately. It wasn't until 46 that they had the funding. The saucer craft could take off vertically and reach altitudes as high as 90,000 feet at supersonic speeds. The craft was so complicated, test pilots had great difficulty in high performance at very high altitudes. Several test pilots were killed as a result of decompression and uh, ejection capsule or escape cylinders are not designed for high-altitude ejections. As a result, one of these uh, replicated craft was lost. Materials used in the construction by Hughes Aircraft Company failed to protect the test pilots in the maximum throttle settings and exposed them to high-dose radiation, which resulted in serious illness and eventual death. Test pilots continued over the White Sands Proving Ground in New Mexico in early 1947 at Kirtland Air Force Base and at Alamogordo um, Army Air Force uh, Tularosa Range with better results uh, to uh, flight performance, but exposure to the radiation from the atomic energy continued to be an issue. 1947, the saucer craft was modified to carry atomic weapons over long distances but high-altitude flight simulations and pilot survivability was still a major problem. At least a dozen of these crafts were built and test-flown, according to records. Three were lost due to mechanical failure and pilot error. Two more were lost along with five fatalities that caused the Army Air Force to cancel the project indefinitely. But the point is, the records show that we were creating these crafts and flying them in the late 40s. So the question becomes, what became of the alien wreckage and bodies Secretary of State Hall and Pastor Holt saw deep underneath the Capitol building? According to um, one investigator, everybody's best guess is the materials were distributed during uh, maybe the late 1941, the following year, to three different locales. First scientist, uh, Vannevar Bush, and the Scientific Research and Development Board apparently worked in some offices within the D.C.'s of Fort Belfort, where uh, George Marshall had uh, some sway. And it's believed that's where the hardware was taken, scrutinized and photographed carefully and slowly synthesized and weaponized. Secondly, we've got the legendary Wright Field, which later became uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio. They had metallurgical labs and aeronautical engineers and developed more use, more sites as uh, World War II raged on to keep up with uh, captured enemy aircraft. And third, military air bases and labs such as Sandia, New Mexico, probably got their hands on the 
technology and its replicated or reverse engineered copies, some of which were tested in the desert near there. That's according to uh, Army CIC and CIA man Thomas Cantwell. Now, apparently these are educated guesses. It'd be hard to imagine FB, uh, FDR and Marshall holding the materials for more than a year in the bowels of the Capitol building. Once the heat was off, so to speak, in the months after the crash, and there was no alien uh, retaliation, they rightly got the the alien stuff out of there to start utilizing it for the war effort, especially after December 7th. America was in deep trouble in the early months and years of the war, and every effort and resource had to be expended to dig us out of that hole. Now, the Cape Girardeau event was called MO-41, and though the material may have vanished piecemeal between various uh, bases, its crash was certainly by no means the last one. Um, next, we're going to talk about the uh, the famous Battle of Los Angeles that I've written one book about. I'm going to do another one. No less an entity than General George C. Marshall, Chief of Staff, said regarding the, the air raid over Los Angeles, this headquarters has come to the determination the mystery planes are, in fact, not earthly, and according to secret intelligence sources, are in all probability of interplanetary origin. Now, this was released internally. At the same time, the government was telling the population it was warners. Now, while President Roosevelt's scientists were desperately struggling to transform the Cape Girardeau disc into an invincible wonder weapon, conventional Japanese warplanes wiped out the U.S. fleet at Pearl Harbor December 7, 1941. Over the weeks and months that followed, news went from bad to worse for the Americans as our forces were beaten in the retreat across the Pacific Theater. We'd entered a war with an outmoded, poorly equipped armed forces which is pretty much what the Russians have done against uh, the Ukrainians. An unbroken string of defeats overseas engendered public anxiety at home, where even the West Coast was shelled uh, with impunity by the deck gun crew of the Japanese submarine floating a few hundred yards off California, ten miles down the coast in Santa Barbara. And while FDR was droning on in a nationwide uh, radio broadcast about the iniquities of Imperial Japan, I-17, which was the designation of that submarine, lobbed uh, 5.5-inch shells at Elwood Oil Field, destroyed a derrick and a pump house. Putting a bold face on this humiliation, Pentagon spokesman publicly ridiculed Kozo Lashino for uh, the relatively minor damage he inflicted. But the commander of the submarine had nevertheless landed 25 rounds on the mainland of the United States and in leisurely cruised away after more than 20 minutes. The 4th uh, U.S. Army Air Corps Interceptor Command, although aware of the submarine's attack, um, ordered a blackout from Ventura to Goleta, but sent no planes out to sink it. Not one shot was fired at the submarine. There was in an article in Fate magazine written by Paul Collins, the only willingness of American defenses to confront, much less interfere with the submarine attack, uh, stressed already 
lone civilian in military morale. Now, naturally, nobody was prepared for the events that started at 3.16 in the morning, February 25, 1942. Two million residents of Los Angeles were jolted from their sleep by the eruption of every artillery piece in the metropolitan area, accompanied by wailing uh, choirs of air, uh, air raid sirens. Total blackout went into effect immediately from L.A. to the Mexican border and inland to the San Joaquin Valley as thousands of civil defense workers grabbed their white helmets and colossal luminous beams and projected uh, heavenward by more than 20 searchlights left the night sky for the enemy aircraft. Pilots assigned to the 4th Interceptor Command, which had recently refrained from going airborne against Commander Lashimno's uh, submarine, were similarly alerted, but again, they were ordered to stand down leaving protection of the entire urban area exclusively in the hands of black gunners on the ground. And those gunners fired something like 1,500 shells by 4.14 in the morning when all clear was not sounded and a blackout order uh, was not lifted until 7.21. So what happened in that ensuing three hours is anybody's guess. Dawn revealed several buildings and vehicles damaged by shell fragments and five people were dead of heart failure and automobile accidents were literally all over the place as a result of the chaos. But there was less panic than exhilaration on the 4th of July-type display. For all the excitement, no bombs had been dropped by the purported enemy aircraft. Well, shortly after the event, the Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox, Gave a speech. And he dismissed the whole thing as a false alarm. Less than three months had passed since Pearl Harbor, and he he claimed it was just a result of war nerves. Public relations officials for the U.S. Army Coast Artillery Association added that the uh, shooting had been triggered by what became the Army's favorite uh, bugaboo, a weather balloon mistaken for a Japanese bomber. That conclusion was later repeated by the U.S. Air Force Historical Research Agency. Now, not everybody was in agreement. Statements were vigorously opposed by Lieutenant General John DeWitt, in charge of the Army's uh, Western Defense Command. He insisted the early morning blackout and aircraft action had been triggered by unidentified targets sighted over the beach. And he was supported in this by squadron pilots of the the inert 14th Intercept Command, claiming they were ordered to man their planes and wait flight orders, but that never came. That was after unknown intruders were reported flying over the coastline. And two official statements issued while Knox was attributing the allegedly non-existent raid to mass hysteria. Senior officers at the U.S. Army Command in San Francisco confirmed and reconfirmed the presence of an unidentified aircraft over the Southland. Cannoneers at the 34th, uh, excuse me, 37th Coast Artillery Brigade likewise affirmed they had begun firing uh, 50 caliber machine gun bullets and 12.8-pound <coughs> anti-aircraft shells into the air after sighting a solid target hit at least twice. Unfortunately didn't have any effect on the craft. 
Their fire was joined by the 65th Coastal Artillery Regiment in Inglewood and the 205th Artillery Regiment based in uh, Santa Monica. According to Bill Henry of the Los Angeles Times, overhead, silently, a glowing object was moving slowly. As anti-aircraft batteries focused it, by uh, spot lights began to take aim. He said, I was far enough away to see the object without being able to identify it. And I'm willing to bet that uh, what shekels I have, that there are a number of direct hits scored on the object. Unfortunately, it didn't seem to have any effect. Fellow Times reporter Marvin Miles described in his article, Chilly throng watches shells bursting in the air. That the object in the sky moved slowly on, caught in the center of the lights like the hub of a bicycle wheel surrounded by gleaming spokes. As you might notice, the people on the ground in the L.A. area were reporting there was something there. The powers that be, safely in Washington, took Churchill's head-in-the-sand approach and said, there's nothing to it, war nerves. A Los Angeles Herald Express staffer said he was sure many shells hit that whatever it was directly, and he was amazed it had been shot down. He said the object proceeded at a leisurely pace over the coastal cities between Santa Monica and Long Beach, taking about 30 minutes of actual flight time to move 20 miles, then it disappeared from view. Eyewitness reports from thousands searching the skies with binoculars under the bright lights of the coast artillery verified the presence of one enormous and identifiable it's seemingly indestructible object. A boy at the time, he and his family, uh, his name was Ralph Bloom, uh, watched it, uh, saw how the, the white cigar-shaped object took several direct hits but continued on with its east, uh, eastward uh, flight path. Another young eyewitness recalled that he, together with his mother and father, observed the entire episode through the large bay window of their home, facing west. He said he remembered distinctly the convergence of searchlights reflecting off the bottom of some kind of slow-moving objects apparently flying in formation. They seemed to be completely oblivious and impervious to the shells exploding all around them. He said about that point in time he was quite the aviation buff, and... uh, you have to admit that he had a devil time trying to identify the objects. Looking through our uh, room's bay window, which gave us an unobstructed uh, panorama of view facing the northwest, west, and southwest. Then we went to our south-facing kitchen and porch windows to observe the action where it culminated in the south. Ergo, the action followed the coastline. And he said he strongly remembered the searchlights converging on the bottoms of the reddish objects flying in formation. In fact, the Coast Artillery Colonel spotted 25 planes at 12,000 feet over Los Angeles. As soon as the blackout went into effect, the information center was inundated with phone calls from citizens reporting enemy planes in the sky. The Army issued a War Department report that indicated between one and five unidentified objects had flown over L.A., On second thought, embarrassed uh, American anti-aircraft gunners couldn't shoot down slow-moving weather balloons at low altitude over nearly an hour. And afraid that such a public display of incompetence would further damage or to depress civilian morale, so government authorities gave out the, the defenders of Los Angeles have been deceived by a meteorological phenomenon of some kind. 
They were emphatically contradicted by War Secretary Henry Stimson, who declared the, that approximately 15 planes had doubtless violated Southern California airspace. Now, he knew, but he couldn't speak publicly about the state's still classified radar installations, which had uh, tracked unknown targets approaching about 12,000 feet over the sea, 120 miles off the west coast on February 25th at uh, 2.15 a.m., So we had solid radar uh, reports, but uh, we couldn't talk about those because they were secret. Within four minutes after the alarm sounded, ground observers were reporting an enormous luminous object. That's according to Kevin Randall, who I know, retired uh, Army uh, colonel and intelligence officer with a master's degree in military science. The sighting was confirmed by non-military witnesses, some using binoculars. According to reporter Dirk Vanderploeg, they observed a large orange object that moved slowly over the coast between Santa Monica and Long Beach, traveled 20 miles in about 30 minutes, then it vanished. Eight-year-old C. Scott Littleton resided with his family in Hermosa Beach, right on the beach. They had a uh, grandstand seat, while his father went out to do his air raid uh, warden duties, his mother and he watched the glowing object that was caught to glare at the searchlights from both Palos Verde and Malibu Pacific Palisades. Surrounded by the puffs of ineffectual aircraft fires, it slowly flew, flew across the ocean from northwest to southeast. Headed inland over Redondo Beach, kept the miles to the south of their vantage point, and eventually disappeared over the eastern end of the Palos Verdes Hills what's today called Rancho Palos Verdes. In any case, he didn't recall seeing any truly discernible configuration, just a small, glowing, slight, uh, lodging-shaped blob of light. They only saw the one object, not several, as some witnesses later reported. Um, Peter Jenkins, editor of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, said, I can clearly see the V-formation of about 25 silvery planes overhead moving slowly across the sky toward Long Beach. Police Chief J.H. McClellan uh, watched uh, what was described as the second wave of planes from atop the seven-story Long Beach City Hall. An experienced Navy observer with powerful Carl Zeiss binoculars said he counted nine planes in the, the cone of the searchlight. He said they were silver in color. Now, during World War II, all Japanese aircraft were camouflage colors, none were silver. The UFO group passed along from one battery of searchlights to another and under fire from anti-aircraft guns. Flew from the uh, direction of Redondo Beach and Inglewood on the land side of Fort MacArthur and continued towards Santa Barbara and Huntington Beach. So the anti-aircraft fire was so heavy they couldn't hear the motors of the planes. Jerome Clark, who did the UFO encyclopedia, recounted the testimony of an air raid warden who counted six to nine luminous white dots in a triangular formation visible to the northwest. Formation is moving very slowly. Others move differently. The early lights were behaving strangely, uh, Collins quoted an eyewitness. They seemed to be um, navigating mostly on a level plane at that moment. 
that is, not rising up from the ground in an arc or a trajectory or in a straight line, and then falling back to earth, but appearing from nowhere and zigzagging from side to side. Some disappeared, not diminishing in brilliance or fading away gradually, just vanishing instantaneously into the night. Others remain pretty much on the same level, and they can only guess their elevation to be about 10,000 feet. But some of them dive toward the earth, only to rise again, mix and play tag with about 30 or 40 others moving so fast that they couldn't be counted accurately. Maybe the most compelling sighting made during the Battle of Los Angeles belonged to a young Hollywood interior decorator who would only give uh, reporters her first name. Her name was Katie. At that time, she lived on the west side of Los Angeles, not far from Santa Monica, where after the attack on Pearl Harbor, she volunteered to become an airway warden. About 2.30 in the morning on February 25th, she ran, was rung up by the district civil defense supervisor, notifying her that there was an alert. Also told her to keep sharp lookout for an enemy warplane supposedly flying near her neighborhood. Well, she rushed to the window, gazed upward into the night sky, which was already alive with exploding shells and crisscrossing beam of searchlights, and she saw a singular craft. She said it was huge, it was enormous, it was practically right over my house. The cigar-shaped object appeared over Culver City and Santa Monica, both neighborhoods on the west side of town and closer to the Pacific Ocean. Said she never seen anything like it in her life. It was just hovering there in the sky, hardly moving at all. Lovely pale orange and about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. She said she could see it perfectly because it was very close. It was big. The... Um, Fighter planes were sent up, and I watched them in groups approach it and then turn away. They were shooting at it, but it didn't seem to matter. She said, I don't forget what a magnificent sight it was, just marvelous, and the color was just absolutely gorgeous. Well, contrary to her observation, the 14th Fighter Squadron was supposedly grounded throughout the action. Her sighting was nevertheless recorded by, uh, and seconded by Scott Littleton, who was I said earlier, watched with his family as a strange object, strange object slowly moved out of view. And very quickly afterwards, we all saw a flight of planes following the track of the object going overhead. Anywhere from three to five interceptors, clearly piston-driven U.S. planes. Nobody's ever admitted that these planes were in the sky, but a lot of witnesses saw them. One day later, in a CBS radio news broadcast... Byron Palmer reported U.S. Uh, Army planes quickly took to the dark sky, but whether they con uh, contacted the object has not been announced. He said activity of the previous night had been observed by watchers on the rooftop of the Columbus Broadcasting Building, excuse me, Columbia Broadcasting Building at CBS in the heart of Hollywood. Interestingly, Palmer was the first announcer in broadcast history to use the term unidentified flying object. In any case, federal government authorities quickly lied about the battle in Los Angeles in the very beginning. Neither Katie's account nor that of any other eyewitness to the events of February 25th described uh, known weather balloons, meteorological phenomena, or even aircraft. Ours are theirs. To be sure, six months later, Yokosuka E-14Y reconnaissance aircraft launched just off the Pacific Northwest coast by Japanese Navy submarine I-25 Dropped 680 pounds of incendiaries on Oregon in two separate sorties. On September 9th and on September 29th, 1942, aimed at starting massive forest fires near the city of Brookings, 
And although local woodlands were too damp from rain to catch fire, these two raids comprised the only bombings of the continental U.S. by aircraft during World War II. Post-war examination of Japanese military records revealed that no such attacks or attempted missions were undertaken against the U.S. mainland before the Yokosuka uh, seaplane flights over Oregon. A few hundred uh, out of 9,000 free balloons armed with time bombs did crash across North America, but those weren't launched in Japan until 1944. So the question becomes... What did eyewitnesses see that night in February 1942 when they watched a silvery object resembling a balloon or blip congruously carrying red flares as it hovered over Santa Monica? Palmer himself observed the unidentified object, which some sources thought might be a blimp. Many UFOs before and since that time have been described as oblong, cigar-shaped, tubular, resembling a dirigible or a blimp. And Littleton recalled that what uh, captured our rapt attention was a silverly lodging-shaped bug, as his mother later described it, whose bright glow was clearly visible in the searchlight beams that uh, pinpointed it. Although it was a clear, moonlit night, all the details are visible, despite the fact that when we first saw it, the object was hanging motionless almost directly overhead. Japanese operated no zeppelins or blimps that we know about. Military powers everywhere long before discarded these as bombers following their disastrously unsuccessful performance during World War I. In any case, millions of observers of the unidentified object over Los Angeles that night did not see a conventional aircraft. The uh, fascinating thing about the Battle of Los Angeles is... Secretary of Navy made his statement. Everything was poo-pooed as war nerves. Everyone ignored the reports of the ground commanders and all the witnesses who saw a craft over uh, Los Angeles that night. Anywhere from one to 25 craft. Well, on that note... (laughs) We've come to the end of tonight's show. We'll finish up talking about the Battle of Los Angeles tomorrow. And until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.